Welcome, Nexus Church family, to your Nexus News. I'm your host, Liam, and you are... Your father. Or Luke. So, what's going on this week, dear old dad? Well, just happens to be that tomorrow, I know, is going to be Nexus Night at the Hop. Monday night. What? From 6 to 8 o'clock. I'm telling you what, you're not going to want to miss this. Is it a.m. or p.m.? Glad you asked. That has been a conflict before. It is 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. in the Hop Building, of course, is right next to Just for Kicks downtown in Thief River Falls, the old Rainbow Bakery, if you go back that far, which I don't. So. But that's what I've been told. <laughs> Anything else? Uh, well, yeah, actually, uh, we just wanted to thank everybody again for uh, their continued support in our church here in Nexus Church and Thief River Falls. We have been extremely uh, blessed by your favor and your continued financial support and your involvement in things at this church. Without you, our church wouldn't exist, and so it is so valuable that that you are a part and you financially support us. So thank you so much. Uh, we value you so, so very much. And um, we just look forward to what's going to be coming up here in 2021. Uh, we plan on having our State of the Church address sometime in February. Our uh, leadership team will be meeting this week and discussing when that's going to happen and how we're going to do it and with all the logistics with COVID we want to be very mindful of how we do that so we don't um, make anybody sick or expose anybody so we're we're throwing around some ideas and we're looking forward to kind of rolling that out next week so that you guys have plenty of opportunities to join us and hear all the great things that happen in 2020 and what we want to do to create the greatest church family that you've ever been in part of. So that's kind of what's coming up, my friend. Yep. Thank you for joining us on Nexus News. I'm your host, Liam, and you are? Your father. And we will see you next time.
Welcome back, Nexus Church family, to this week's message from our series we've titled Follow Me. Now, in this series, uh, we're kind of taking just a chunk of the beginning of the life of Jesus. Last week, we talked about the baptism of Jesus and how it signified not only a model for us to follow in being baptized, but it also signified the power of Jesus and the call of Jesus and really began the work of his ministry and also how God had empowered him to do that. Now, last week, of course, we encouraged you that if you hadn't been baptized, like this isn't something that we might want to do someday or suggestion of to being to do someday, but this is in fact something that Jesus himself laid out for us to follow. And we read from the book of Acts in chapter 2, verse 38. Uh, Acts 10 has a, a good command of what it looks like to be uh, baptized and as well as Acts 19. And so I encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, I have committed to leaving this baptism tank up for a few weeks just because I know sometimes it takes a while for a person to be able to get the things together or maybe the, the spare time to be able to make that happen. But this has been left for you because I know that God spoke to me that there is a person out there who needs to publicly proclaim that they have given their life to Jesus and they are going to follow him. And so at least for the next few weeks as we're going through this series, I want to make that available to anybody who has decided to follow Jesus and haven't been baptized in water. And so today we're going to now take that turn, right? Now Jesus has been fully endorsed by God, if you want to call that. He's been empowered by the Holy Spirit, and now he is going out to begin the work of his ministry. Now right after Jesus was baptized, of course, we know from other accounts and other, and other gospel messages of this encounter that he had with the enemy, that is Satan. Now, Mark just glazes past it. There's not much at all in the book of Mark on this, and, and we'll take a look at it in depth at another time when we're going through another book. But we know that Jesus defeated the enemy in the desert, and now he begins looking to those who are out in the crowds that are following him, that have just began to kind of take a look. Who is this guy, right? We've heard about him. We know that a crazy thing happened at his baptism. Uh, we, we heard that he went out to the desert and defeated Satan himself. And, and so now he's getting these followers that are hanging out, listening to him at the temple, at the synagogue, at the church, whatever you want to call it, right? The place where people gathered to worship in the day of Jesus, they were hearing him, and it was piquing their interest. And so here we come to the very first people that Jesus was speaking to, and he gave them a very bold statement to follow him, and this is what our series title is come from. And so I want to begin by reading that passage and then unpacking that two really powerful statements Jesus made in this account to him speaking to the crowds for the very first time. And so John chapter 1 verse 14 says, 
after John was arrested, right? The person who baptized Jesus is now arrested because of the things that he was saying and doing and, and being very bold to those who were in authority. He gets arrested. And then Jesus, he goes to Galilee, and he proclaims the good news of God, right? Yet there is release from the chains of sin. And so the time is fulfilled, he says, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And as he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Powerful, powerful two phrases that Jesus uses in this passage. And the first one, of course, if you heard it, he said, the time is fulfilled in the kingdom of God has come near. Wow. There's a sense of urgency in Jesus' voice here. I, I can just hear him as he's looking out to the crowds and he's saying, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come. And there is not much time left. Right? It, it brings me back to Psalm 62. And, and I just want to read this to you quickly. Psalm 62, verses 5 through 12. And this is, of course, David proclaiming, Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my glory depend on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. And here's what I think Jesus was thinking as he proclaims the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come. This is what I'm thinking he has in the back of his mind. In verse 9 of Psalm 62, he says, Common people are only a vapor. Important people, an illusion. Together on a scale, they weigh less than a vapor. I just want to stop there. Right? Jesus fully knows and fully understands that our existence on earth is but a vapor. It doesn't matter how important you are or how unimportant you are, how rich you are, how poor you are. It doesn't matter whether you are a healthy person or an unhealthy person. God knows that in the grand scheme of time, it's a vapor. It's an illusion. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Within a hundred years, you will be absolutely forgotten. Even the most powerful people in all of the world lose their status over time. Their importance fades away and they become a vapor. The troubles we see today around us are but a vapor, a but illusion, and they will be forgotten in time. And so Jesus has this in mind, and, and maybe as, as Paul clarifies it even further in 1 Corinthians seven twenty nine through 31, where he says the time that remains is very short, right? I love how Paul is always so just boom right there, right? 
So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them for this world as we know it will soon pass away. <laughs> right? So, so Jesus isn't necessarily saying, you know, like, forget all of life, right? And, and other places we've read that, that Jesus says, you know, let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. Or, or foxes have beds, but those who follow me don't have a bed to lay in. It's not like Jesus is saying, forget all of the things that are important to you. Reject your family. Leave them and come follow me. It's more, wake up. The time is here. Your existence is a vapor. It's going to be gone soon. What is most important to you? The kingdom of God should be of most important to every person because that is what we will spend all of eternity on. And soon, <laughs> our life will seem as if it was a vapor on earth as we rest in eternity where time truly doesn't exist because it goes forever. And so Jesus is saying, the time is near. The time is near. If you want to spend all of eternity in a place where it's perfect, where there's no pain, no sorrow, no fear, no sickness, if you want that, if you want that, you don't have much time to make things right. Because you don't know when that vapor of time on earth will be over. And so he goes on and he says, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Now this brings me back to how God spoke to Jonah if you know the story, it's in Jonah, all of the book of Jonah, right? It's a, it's a beautiful story of God speaking to Jonah to go to the people of Nineveh and proclaim a simple message, a simple message of repent. God sees your wickedness, how the evil things you have done to the people of God, to the nation of Israel— we, I've seen what you've done, and now I see how you treat each other and the wickedness that is inside of you. I'm about to do what I did to Sodom and Gomorrah. If you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, if you've never heard of it, it was a wicked nation back in Genesis, in the very first book of the Bible. And God looked down on them and saw the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he wiped them off the face of the earth. They were obliterated. Nobody was left alive because of their wickedness, because they would not listen to the voice of God and repent of their wickedness. And so God looks down on the city of Nineveh, this wicked, wicked city, and he says, repent, right? But he uses a man of God to proclaim that message. And that man was, of course, Jonah himself, the, the name of the book that was written. So Jonah gets this call to go, and of course, you know the story, he rejects that message and he goes the other way. Like, talk about the wrong thing to do. He goes the other way than what God asked him to. 
He gets, of course, swallowed by a big fish, and he lives in there, and he asks God to forgive him, and he commits himself to doing what God had truly asked him to do the first time. And what does God do? He relents, and he allows Jonah to get spit out and live again. Crazy story. It doesn't make sense, but it's what God's Word says, and so we take it by faith to be true. So Jonah chapter 3, therefore, is the reckoning. Will Jonah actually do what he said he was going to do? In verse 1, we read, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Gets another chance. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth, and from the greatest of them to the least. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. So what did he do? He got in a place of mourning. He got in a place of mourning, and then he ordered No person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, a place of mourning. And everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil way, right? That is the classic word, repent. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. You are heading this direction. I want you to head this direction, the absolute polar opposite of the direction you're going, of the evilness that you are following. I want you to do everything opposite of that, right? If you're stealing, I want you to give money back, right? If you're bringing death and destruction, I want you to give life. Give it abundantly, above and beyond what you could ever dream giving. Repent. And then he says, who knows? God may turn and relent He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. And God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened with them with, and he did not do it. What a powerful story. Powerful story of God repenting, relenting from their repentance. And that's what exactly what Jesus was calling out to the followers that he had gathered around him as they were listening to this brand new preacher from the great city. So they listened. And they were in awestruck wonder of the power of his message. And people, of course, were repenting. They were turning from their evil ways. Maybe that's somebody today. Maybe somebody out there is saying, man, I've, I've, I've done a lot of wicked things. I know that if, if God were to look down at me today and he were to see the things I've done, he would know full well that I don't deserve to be in heaven with him. Much like the city of Nineveh, I should be destroyed and sent away from him for all of eternity. 
The beautiful thing is today, just like the Ninevites, they didn't deserve a single ounce of forgiveness God gave them, but he gave it to them. They got on their faces and they said, we've done wrong. We're not going to go down that direction anymore. We don't know how we're going to do it, but we are giving ourselves to you and asking you to forgive us and to give us the strength to live the way you want us to. If that's you today, just simply give God your life. Say, I don't want to go down this road anymore. I want to follow after you. And he will forgive you. He will relent from what you deserve, eternal separation from him in a place that is real. It's called hell. And so the people followed him, right? And we get down to the the next section in Mark chapter 1 when they followed him, right? He proclaims, if you turn from your sins, if you repent and you give your lives to me, then you must follow me. You must follow me. And here's the interesting thing that he says after that. And I will make you a fisher for people. I will make you fisher for people. Now, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to be a fisher for people, you know? Like, that's not something that you hear every day out on the street. I'm going out to fish for people. That would probably get people to actually think you're a little strange, right? So what did Jesus mean by that? And, and a good follow-up question to that is, is, do I have to? Do I have to become a fisher for people? If this is what is required of a fisher for people, do I have to? As a follower of Jesus... I have repented, given myself to him. I want to follow after him. Do I therefore have to become whatever this fisher for people is? And so first let's discuss what is a fisher for people. And we have to understand that, of course, the people that Jesus was writing to in this passage were fishermen, right? We we read that right away. They were fishing. The second group he comes to, they were fishing as well. They were fishing with their father, and they followed him. So Jesus was using words that they understood, right? A a little bit later in his ministry, we find this in Luke 19.10, Jesus says this very clear. He says that his job was to seek and to save the lost, And so, in a way, Jesus was using terminology to these gentlemen that they would understand because they might not understand what the term seek and save the lost. In fact, you might not understand what it means to seek and to save the lost. And so, Jesus was was using terms that certain people understood in certain times. And really what Jesus is saying in all of this is he said, if you follow me, I am going to to work inside of you to reach others that don't know about me and save them from going down the path that will lead them to eternal separation from me. You see, your time from the moment you get saved to the moment you go to be with Jesus forever in heaven 
your timing between the day of salvation and the time of arrival to heaven is supposed to be filled with going after people who don't know the message of Jesus, what we call the gospel message. That is what God has called us to. So the follow-up question, as we said, is do I have to (laughs) seek after those who don't know about Jesus? Because here's the reality. That requires us to go to people who we may not be comfortable around. That might require us to make friends with people that we don't like or might think differently than us, who might act differently than us, who make us uncomfortable. Do we have to do that? Do we have to go after those people? Let's be honest. If you're anything like me, you're kind of introverted and you have kind of this, this uneasy feeling around people you don't know. You like to kind of have a small group of people that, that you know and you're comfortable with, and, and that's good. That's all you need. Do we have to go after other people? Well, if you know the great former radio host by the name of Paul Harvey, I think he, he phrased it the best. And this is something that most churches in America and most Christians in America will always have to fight. He said that we, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, have drifted away from being fishers of men to being keepers of the aquarium. You see, it's an Almost every single Christian. There's a few who, who don't follow this, this mindset. But it's very easy to get to the point where we get comfortable in the four walls of our church community, whether that's inside the building or in a small group or wherever, at your work, in your neighborhood, you can get so closed in with this group of people that you think like them, you behave like them, you like the same things as them. It's so easy to keep that group safe and become a keeper of the aquarium, the safe little environment And as soon as we go out of that aquarium, it's an unsafe world, right? Kind of like taking Nemo or Dory out of that aquarium and putting them in this big sea. They're lost, they're confused, they're scared, they're running all over the place. And we get the same way as followers of Jesus. You take us out of our little comfort zone, of our little church community, and you put us out in the world and we go after those people. And all of a sudden, we're in a scary place around people who don't like what we like, who think differently than what we do, we get very, very uncomfortable. And Jesus says, you're not to just stay within your little aquarium and your little safe bubble. I want you to go after those other people. Because if all you were to do is to keep your little aquarium safe, your little community safe, then I should have just taken you home with me. When the day you became a follower, you have a job to do. 
to seek and save the lost like Jesus. That's what becoming a fisher of people is. Your job, my job, is to now go help others come into this place of safety in Jesus. Sure, there's nothing wrong with coming to a church or a, a community, a small group or, or family and love Jesus together. It's good to build each other up, to encourage one another, to challenge each other, to have that place where you know you can share anything and you're in a good place. We want our church community to be the absolute safest place for a person to come and to feel like they can be a part of our family. That's what being a church family is about. And so we want to bring that to other people. We don't need the world to influence us. We want to influence the world. So that requires us to go out and to reach them and to bring them in. That's our job. Because listen to this. Jesus says, I will make you a fisher for people. I will make you. That means to deny the call to be a fisher of people is to deny the work of God in you. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that scares me. I don't want to deny the work of God. I don't want to be like Jonah in Jonah chapter 1 and chapter 2 where he's like finding out the hard way <laughs> that denying God is a bad thing. I don't want to end up in that place where I've denied the call to go out and to love people who don't think like me, don't act like me, don't behave like me. I want to go out and reach them. But here's the beautiful thing. If you're anything like me, you're going to mess up. You're going to mess up on the opportunity to go out and reach to a person who doesn't know Jesus. I'm, I've failed. I've failed more than once. And whether you failed once, twice, three times, or 24 times, God will welcome you back. See, did you catch it in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1? What's the very first thing God says in his word? He says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. <laughs> came to Jonah a second time. That's the beautiful thing about God. He forgives He's always there waiting for you to just come on, come on, come on back. And he welcomes you back. He welcomes you back. But here's the thing. He'll welcome you back. But just like Jonah, he's going to give you that message a second time. He's going to be like, all right, now's the time, right? Now's the time to do what I commanded you in Mark 16, 15. That is to go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone, right? Like that is our call to go preach the good news. It's not just for our little bubble. It's for the world. And the world is a big, scary place. But we don't have to worry about doing it alone. It's not like he's just said, this is your job. <laughs> now you have good luck. Uh, hope you don't die. No, he has given us everything we need. And this is exactly what Acts 1-8 is all about, where Jesus tells his people one last time as he gets to go back up to be with the Father, he's departing and he's looking down upon them and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witness, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, Judea, 
throughout Judea and Samaria, and what? To the ends of the earth, right? That command that Jesus gave his followers in Mark 16, 15, to go and preach the word to the ends of the earth, he gives you power to do through the Holy Spirit. So that is God's call. He has strictly told us what to do. Seek and save the lost. Seek and save the lost. And here's what I want you to do today. A simple action point today. I want you to think of one person. One person who doesn't know Jesus. Or maybe is in the process. Maybe you've talked to him before. Maybe, maybe you know that they're so close. Or maybe they fell away from believing Jesus. Just one person that you know that doesn't know Jesus. If they were to die today, they wouldn't be in the presence of God. Or are you not really sure if they would? Would you write that person's name in the comments section? Or if you don't feel comfortable with that, maybe you're afraid somebody would see it. Would you just message Nexus Church? Message me, Luke Stavros. Tell us that person's name. We have what we call, in the back of our sanctuary, a Connect One board. And on the back, as you'll see in the picture, is a bunch of names. And every month, I encourage people to write one name down on a little tiny piece of paper, and we put it up on that board, and we pray for that person. And so I would love for you to share that person with us so that we could put their name on that board and we can pray for them. But that's not the only thing we do, right? Yes, prayer is important, and we, we're going to ask with you that God would work on that person's heart, that he would do whatever it takes to bring them to a place where they believe in Jesus. But here's what else I want you to do in this process of praying for that person. I want you to be finding ways, praying to God, give me ways that I can serve that person, that I can just show God's love to that person. I don't have to say a thing, right? So first we pray for that person, God work on their heart. Then we pray that God would give us an opportunity to serve that person and just show them the love that we have for them, that God has for them. And then third, we're going to ask God that, okay, we've... We've prayed for them. We know you're working on their heart. We've served them. We've shown the love of God. We're we're showing that we truly care for them. Now, God, would you give me an opportunity to tell them the good news of Jesus? Give me that opportunity to tell them that, that, that there's a better way to live, that there's hope in Jesus. Or maybe give you an opportunity to invite them to something that maybe your church is doing, whether it's you're a part of our church or another church, that God would give you just an opportunity to invite them into something that, that they could be a part of, that, that they could just get to experience the family of God and how wonderful it truly is. Friends, that, that is what I'm asking for you. You would pray for the person, you would serve the person, and you would invite that person into the church family. And so would you put their name at the bottom in the comment section, and we will gladly put their name up under January, and we'll be praying with you. And we've been doing this all the way from July of 2017. We've been praying for people that God puts on our hearts to pray for. And we're believing that God's going to change hundreds of lives, thousands of lives, 
because we're intentional about reaching one person at a time and connecting them to Jesus. So, Father, I pray for the people that you're putting on hearts right now, that you would right now, even right now, as they're putting their names in the comment section, that you would be reaching into that person's heart right now, helping them to see their need for a Savior, that they are not living a life that's going to lead them to eternal life with Jesus, that they would have their eyes open to that reality, and that we, as the church family, would find ways to serve and to care for and love these people and have that opportunity in time to tell them the good news of Jesus. Because as you clearly stated, the time is near. Our life is but a vapor. We don't know when our last breath will be on earth and we meet you face to face, either in the presence in heaven or before we go in the eternal separation, a place called hell. God, we don't want that for anyone. And so we pray, we pray diligently, expecting you to change hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Nexus Church Family Online, for joining us for this week's message. And again, if you haven't been baptized, please, please, please find a way to get to Nexus Church at Thief River Falls in the next couple of weeks so we can celebrate with you this public proclamation of your faith in Jesus. And until next week, you have a great week. Used to be for